Welcome to the Fantasy Ace Ball Podcast. This is your host, Tim Knack. You can find me on X at Fantasy Ace Ball. And with us today, special guest, John Anderson. John, what are you doing right now? I've been seeing you posting a lot about your new, um, your new, I can't even think of the word right now. You, you've got your stats, right? <laughs> Projections. Projections, that's the word. Your new projections yeah. coming out. I've seen you posting a lot about that. Where can people find the projections at? They're, you can't find them for free. I went full stingy this year. This is I, I pulled the, the bait and switch where I did the Substack thing for two seasons for free. And then I got people hooked on it. And then I'm like, no, give me some money. So for $9 a month, you can get access to projections, which is, is a bad deal, right? There's There's free projections out there that are probably better than mine. But you get all kinds of other stuff that you can't get anywhere else. So that's John A, J O N A dot substack dot com or Google MLB Data Warehouse, but no big deal. I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. Of course. The projections just talk I want to get into more of what you're doing, those projections and everything. Does that deal also include all your Tableau stuff? So do they everything. get access? Yeah. yeah. So if you sign up, you get access to everything. It's not just the projections, but you're gonna get full access to John's spreadsheets, which are just like insane and way better than like i mean like you can mess around on fan graphs and try to do your own spread like, like your own versions of fan graphs basically if you want to do like custom boards and stuff like that but there's a lot of stuff missing from fan graphs yeah. there are things like I, I think like you can't even get like sweet spot percentage and stuff plus you can't get on the same spreadsheet if you wanted to have right. like csw and stuff plus at the same time you can't do that you have to like go to your pitch modeling stuff on fan graphs and it's kind of like a pain in the ass so <laughs> yeah. yeah, mine's better. Uh, it doesn't have everything anybody could ever want, but uh, I don't even like for minor league stuff. I have this dashboard that has every minor league game stats covered for all levels back to 2021, all in like one place. You could just you can just go hit a drop down and hit St. Louis, and it'll show you their whole minor league stats for everybody. Like imagine there's no other tool on the internet that does, and and this isn't even me bragging as much as just like why hasn't anyone else done this yet? Like because you can go to the Cardinals different team websites, I guess, and like look at their minor league teams stats, but it's like clunky and slow and you have to do one team at a time and all this stuff. So that minor league dashboard I have is like super nice if you're into that stuff. So it's like that, that, and then like 10 other things like it that are kind of just, I've been amassing over the years where, so I don't know a lot of, it, it's not for everybody. It's like really stat heavy and a lot of stuff in there, maybe overwhelming, but yeah, check it out. Minor league stats are actually pretty tough to come by. Like you can get some yeah. okay ones from AAA guys, but a lot of the stats, if you're looking at like high A or double A, it's just like old school stats. It's like, here's your runs and your RBI and your batting average. Yeah. I mean, and I don't have like, much okay. more than that either. I, I can, <laughs> there, there is some play by play data out there, which can get you like for pitchers. I have swinging strike rates for pitchers at all levels because there's a data set with every pitch rather than every at bat given. Right. But but yeah, there's not, you're not gonna find barrel rates or anything outside of AAA just because it's not even recorded. But I imagine in a few years, that data will all be public and we'll be able to build all these dashboards the same for all levels. Like, like right now, you, everything in the major leagues is available in AAA. It's just not made available publicly. It is public, but it's harder to find and you need some like programming chops to really figure it out. So anyway, we're here to talk about shortstops, right? Yeah, shortstops. So we're going to get into shortstop rankings. We're going to kind of go through my tiers, and then you, we'll, we'll get into a little back and forth. We've got some notes to follow along with. If you want to follow along with the rankings while we're talking, you can go to Friends with Fantasy Benefits. 
my rankings are on there for all my hitting positions. So just click on that shortstop link and you can follow along with the podcast. So you're just not inundated with numbers. We're going to try to avoid going through like the actual F score. So if you want to just follow along, we're going to get into some of the shortstop stuff and you can follow the F scores, et cetera, the rankings as we talk. So uh, tier one, dude, I don't know what your tier one looks like, but I've just got Mookie Betts and I've got Bobby Wade Jr. And that yeah. is assuming you're playing in a league where Betts is shortstop eligible. I think like Yahoo leagues, he's shortstop eligible and Ot new leagues. He's shortstop eligible because he played five games. Yeah, whereas there's five. other formats where you have to play 10 or 20 games. Right. So like NFBC, you can't put bets at shortstop, but like just for the purposes of this conversation, since people play on different platforms, we're going to throw bets and wit into this tier one here. And assuming you have kind of like That's the correct. same tier That's one correct. breakdown. Okay. You got exactly the same correct. guys. Yeah. Who, who are you taking? Like, Who's your one and who's your two? Like, who are you taking, bets or wit? And does it depend on the format? Uh, it might depend on, uh, like, how important the second base thing is for you because bets can play second base. Any league he's a, he's a shortstop, he is certainly a second base. I think he's second base everywhere. Um, and second base to me is the, the, the well, what's called, shallowest. Uh, you know, it's, it's not one you want to be filling after the first handful of guys are gone. So it's probably bets. Um, well, okay. I, I think wit is ahead in my rankings, but I think it, it's fine to, to kind of go either way. Wit is definitely has more upside with the age and the steals are going to be way higher. We've seen that. Although it's still possible that wit slows down the steal stuff. It's not, you know, how many times have we seen a guy that comes into the league and steals a bunch of bases for a year or two, and then kind of cools that down. And in reality, I don't think major league teams view steals nearly as, important as fantasy players right so we see them kind of tell guys it seems to like hey ease off of that we're not really gaining a ton by you ending up on second in certain situations and it, like it's good for the stats but not as good for the real life game so but anyway we have to go on the projections that's kind of just how i operate and yeah wit is like way above bets in that and i do want to get some steals really early on still so that's it's wit for me but if you're in a deep league it is nice to have that second baseman early because it gets probably pretty pretty fast in those kind of leagues yeah, I mean, to me, I, th I think a lot of it, it just depends on format. Whereas, like, if I'm like if I'm sitting there in an NFBC league and Wit fall, let's say I'm picking like five or something, and Wit falls to me at five, then I'm going to take Wit over Betts, even though Betts is going to fall to you at five almost every time because I've yeah. I've done a couple DCs and Betts is always there at that point, but Wit is usually like third or something. And it makes sense because you want to in a 15 team league, like you really have to nab your steals early. And even if you're in a 12 team league and yeah. you're in a cat's league and you can get a lot of steals from a guy who can play third and short because he gets third base eligibility too. talking about bets, getting second base Wick gets third. And I think, Wick, I think third base is the most shallow. I feel like third base is very top heavy. And then it's just like yeah. the middle of third base is just like, pfft, like kind of sucks. Um, <laughs> maybe like I think the, the difference is, I think the it's difference like is that prospects, but at the top, second base is like the, the top third base has a lot more, a lot more guys that are very good. Second base has like one or two. And then there's some guys from like three to 10 that are okay. And, and there's a big cliff for third base, but it's after there's like a good five or six names. So yeah, all the projection systems have bet have wit above. I mean, all of them are around 40 steals and nobody's at 15 yeah, is the max for bet. So it's a huge difference there. And that would push me to wit just because, 
Uh, but that's more of a, a roto league thing where the steals mm-hmm. are super important. So, so yeah, and, and on base percentage league, it's probably bets or sorry, a points league, it's probably bets just because the steals don't matter as much. He, he walks a lot more, and the Dodgers are obviously way better in terms of supporting the runs and RBIs and stuff. So, so that's my answer. What junior and roto and bets and points? I'm on the same exact page. So, you got it. Same, same thing. Tier one, tier okay. two. I have a really small tier two, I just have Lindor and Trey. In my tier two, and this is another one that's a little bit for me dependent on format. Whereas, like, Trey is, a, is almost the same thing, right? Like, Trey is going to get the yeah. seals just like Wit, whereas Lindor is probably like the better overall player if you're looking from like a real life standpoint. And I think points in OBP leagues mimic real life production a little bit better than playing like a Roto Cats league. So, like, yeah. I'm going Trey and Roto Cats and then Lindor in points in OBP. And like, what does your tier two look like? Do you just have a couple guys like me or do you have like a wider tier two? And who would, would you be throwing anybody else into this mix with these two? I think I, I think I agree. Uh, It was Seager was, was flirting with it. And by the projections, Seager basically is there with Lindor. Um, Although, so the projections say Trey's at like almost a dollar ahead, which is pretty significant. The, the projections would almost put Turner in a tier above Lindor, but then you kind of have to adjust this thing mentally. I mean, Lindor had a 30-30 season last year, like that nobody even noticed, right? So he yeah. was <laughs> he he, he out earned Trey a ton last year, but and they're the same age, but the projections are still on on Turner. Uh, but yeah, I think that's right, Turner and Lindor, because they both have the steals, like we just talked about, and the batting average isn't going to be a problem for either one. Seager isn't far behind because of the power and the average and RBIs, but now this injury thing kind of weighs in. I don't think anybody's overly worried about it, but he could miss a week. And I don't know. It's like some kind of hernia surgery, right? So any little thing, like he was barely hanging on by a thread to those guys because he doesn't have the steals. He's like 20, 30 steals behind those two projection wise. And he makes up for a lot of that with everything else. But I think just that little injury thing um, definitely knocks him out. So I, I agree. It's, it's wit. Uh, and, and in my stuff, I don't count bets as a shortstop. So my my one two three is clearly Witt, Turner, and Lindor. I would I'd say it's fair to draw the tier, uh, just like you said. Yeah, Seager, uh, I dropped him behind one. Like we'll get into him with my next tier a little more, but like yeah. I dropped him one spot. Like he's just such a good hitter, but there is no speed there. And yeah. I want to say this is a back injury, and I want to say that he had a back injury before. Like I can't remember what season it was. If it was, I went. It was when he was with the Dodgers, and I can't remember if it was like the 2021 season where he only played 95 games, or if it was 2018 mm-hmm. or 2019 where he was hurt. But I want to say this is the second time that he's had a back issue, and we've seen guys where they get back issues. It can kind of linger a bit and keep coming back. Like I mean, even his old teammate Clayton Kershaw, different position, but yeah, those different. back issues have really affected his career. And I don't know, like back things are just something that lingers. It's not like it's a broken leg where, oh, it sucks. He's out for a couple months and he's going to, you know, it's going to heal. And then once your leg right. heals, it's, it's good for, it's good to go. It's not like your leg is going to re-break again, you know, like it's, yeah. I mean, it could, but it's not like it's more tender. It, fo- it heals fully, whereas back issues, they can linger quite a bit. So I'm a little bit concerned about that. Um so we'll jump then into this third tier. And just one more comment on Lindor and Turner. If you look at the S scores, Lindor has quite a bit better plate skills than Turner overall, which 
The yeah. reason I like Lindor better is I just think he's more consistent and where they're both at at their age, Turner is going to age worse than Lindor because a lot of Turner's value is based upon his speed. And when you hit 30, whatever, like that's when speed starts to go down. Whereas Lindor, even if he only steals, you know, 15 or 20 bags, he's still going to have enough power there. And he's still going to hit for a, a good enough average and be a consistent enough hitter that it won't really kill him. Whereas like, Turner, I feel like, is the type that he's going to be losing extra base hits, too. It's not like, oh, he's not going to steal as many bags, but when the speed goes down, he's going to be losing a lot of those extra base hits, and you're going to see that ISO and those slugging numbers start to go down uh, quite a bit more drastically than Lindor's numbers. Yeah, I think it's fair to note that Turner – I mean, Turner didn't lose any speed last year. It was exactly the same, everything. So that's a good sign. doesn't mean that he won't. You know, eventually he will and doesn't say that that won't happen this year, but it's not like we saw it start already. So that's good. Um, projection wise, yeah, Lindor's over 25 home runs. Every system has 27 or 28. Turner has 22, 23, or 24 in all of them. Um, the batting average thing, I guess it could go either way, but Lindor projects at 255 and Turner's up in the 275, 280 range. And Turner's been, I mean, how many seasons has he has it? Has he had at 290, 300? So uh, edge to him there but yeah maybe you're right he does kind of depend on beating out a lot of infield hits out for that and even with the power it seems he's never really been a like a guy that's crushing the ball he's just kind of has that ability to consistently hit hard line drives and once they're on the upper echelon of that angle range they you know they fly out but he's not the one he's not someone that can miss hit a home run right he has to hit it exactly perfect and Lindor's not no no judge or Stanton either but yeah the raw power is better with Lindor so uh Turner's clearly ahead of Lindor but Trey Turner is usually a first round guy and, and Lindor goes almost around after. So if you're looking for an early shortstop price wise, I think Lindor is a better buy with the, the cheaper tag. Yeah. So the next tier tier three for me, uh, I have Ellie De La Cruz at the top of the tier, then Gunnar Henderson and then injured yeah. Corey Seager. I originally had Seager ahead of Gunnar because I think they're kind of similar, but Seager's just a better hitter and has more power right now. But this is the controversial one, right? Ellie De La Cruz is kind of contra- is is a little. There's a little bit of pot stirring because I think Derek Hardy came out and said like, "Why is everybody yeah. drafting Ellie so high? Like he's like I haven't been like 70 or whatever." And I actually just took Ellie yesterday in a DC in the second round, and I don't know. I think some of the projections are shorting him a bit. Like I think he's. I think with Ellie. We're looking at, even with the inconsistencies, I think we're looking at 25 to 28 homers or something like that over a full season in Cincinnati. And I think that we're looking at 50, like 40, 50 steals pretty easily. So like a lot of the projections only have him at like 35 steals or something, which he hit last year and he only played for two thirds of a season or whatever last year, not, or not even, I think. So like if you're projecting him only for 35 steals again, that means you're either projecting him to just be less aggressive on the base paths this year, or you think for some reason he is going to go back down to the minors, which I know there's like rumors of, oh, he was so bad at the end of the last year that the Reds are going to send him down. But I don't really see that happening. I think that would be pretty insane to see someone who hit like 15 homers and 35 steals in two thirds of a season be sent down. Like, I know he was inconsistent with the bat. He's a big dude. He's going to have holes in his swing. But he's just so electric as far as exit velocities and speed. Like, he's just so toolsy that even with some bad swings and stuff like that, the tools are going to play out on Ellie. That's 
that's my thoughts on him. What do you think? I don't have him anywhere near the third tier. Um, but yeah, he's one. He's an important one to talk about. Uh, I think the ADP is crazy in the second round. He's like the fourth shortstop taken. I think that's nuts. I mean, everybody tries to go for the upside, and it's fair point to say the project that fair point to say that projections don't do a good job of upside. Because uh, let me just take an example. Like De La Cruz projects for about fifteen dollars in this system I have, and that is like right there with. Uh, you know, it's it's a li- it's in front of Dansby Swanson, but it's not a ton. Like they're similar in that regard, but those two get to that projection wildly differently, right? Like um, it's a median. So Swanson is, you know, what you're going to get, and it's just like he'll either be good or mediocre or somewhere between them. De La Cruz will either be elite or very bad because of all of this stuff you just mentioned and the variance and stuff. So the median might be the same, uh, but the upside obviously isn't comparable. Nobody's comparing. Uh, there's very few players that compare to Ellie's upside because of this power and speed. The one thing um, with the 35 steel projection that you mentioned, first of all, like when you come into the league and play three fourths of a season and you run as much as he did, every projection system is going to build in regression immediately, like a ton of it. Cause no matter who it is, if you lead the league in a stolen base attempt rate, it's just statistically mathematically much more likely that you come down because you don't lead the league and stuff two years in a row very often, right? Like there's obviously some variance in there. And, and the other thing is if he's hitting these home runs, you know, if he busts out for a 30 home run season, what does that mean? Well, it means he figured out how to lift the ball more. And what does that mean? He, he's not hitting singles, right? If he, if he's lifting the ball, he's flying out or hitting home runs or doubles, which is going to take away the steals. So it's almost like an inverse relationship here. I think I think he stole a lot of bases last year because he hit a ton of ground balls and he beat a lot of them out and this stuff like that. So he ended up at first base a lot. So if he if the power goes up, the steals will come down because he just won't be on first base very much. And maybe he'll walk a ton more. I don't know. But I don't think both of those things can really come together at the same. I don't think he can really go 40 40 unless he's not striking out hardly at all. I mean, you saw it with Acuna last year when he went had that crazy 40 40 season, but that came with a 12 percent strikeout rate. So he was he was just putting himself on base so much that he had chances to do both. With Ellie, there's no way he strikes out less than, I mean, 28% would be like my absolute best case scenario for him. So if he's if he's hitting a bunch of home runs with a 28% strikeout rate, that leaves very little room for singles and walks and whatnot uh, to steal bases. So the upside, yeah, there, I, under, I understand, but yeah, I mean, I'm if people are taking him in the top 20, 30 picks, I'm not going to have any of them. Uh, he would be in my tier three, I believe. See, I wouldn't project him to go 40-40. Like, I wouldn't have him like, oh, he's going to be like J-Rod and he's going to be like Kyle but, Tucker. But people are kind of have that upside in mind, right? Don't you yeah, kind of have I, that upside I, in mind? It, well, what I'm thinking is it's just going to be more steals because we're going to see a transition in his career. Like, in the minors, he was hitting the ball on, on the ground only like 40% of the time, and he was hitting the ball in the air in like the high 30s. Last year in the majors, he hit the ball on the ground almost 44 or 54% of the time. And only yeah. hit fly balls 21.8%. That's way low compared to what he was doing in the minors. And we have to remember he's in Great American Small Park. So that's always going to assist too when he does start hitting the, the ball in the air because he did have a 24.5% home run to fly ball rate as a rookie. So that's pretty yeah. darn good home run to fly ball percentage, especially as a rookie. So we look at these things, we look at his insane exit velocities. 
And I think that next year we're looking at minor corrections in fly ball rate. Like maybe we see 25 to 30% instead of 21%. We're not going to see a full on like 40% fly ball rate all of a sudden. And if that happens, then I think we're looking at more of like a 25 Homer guy who can steal 45 or 50 bags. But I don't think he can. The reason I'm putting him so ahead is those steals. Cause I like, we saw him like steal second, third and Homer, whatever on like the same, yeah, like one one. I'm not saying that's going to happen every time, but if you can steal third and you can steal home a couple times a year, that just shows that you're no matter where you're at on the bases, like you're a threat. It, like he could hit doubles and then still steal third. Yeah, which is rare, I, right. That's the kind of stuff that'll go away because te- there's a reason teams don't let guys steal third. It's it's not worth the risk, right? So like it's just not. He's probably doing that because he wanted to make his name and show what he can do and whatnot. And there's some of this rookie stuff comes into play, but yeah, I mean, it, nobody steals third and it's not because they can't do it. It's because it's just not advantageous. It, a single scores you anyway. Why take the 20% risk of whatever it is of getting thrown out? So I think some of that stuff goes away. And, and just to kind of reiterate the point, if he hits a fly ball, like, like how many times in a season could a stolen base from him come after he hits a fly ball? Like any fly ball he hits is going to be caught or a home run. So there's just not going to be a, a steal following that. So if the, my, I'm saying if the fly, if he does correct that ground ball stuff, which I agree he will do because of that same regression to the mean, right? You just, it's very rare to see someone go 55% back to back years. Um, that's really high. So with the more fly balls, I, there's fewer opportunities for steals. So I think the steals come down, but still, yeah, I mean, it's a 35 pro- steal projection and that's, that's probably about what to expect. And yeah, 25 homers seems pretty likely as well. So yeah, I mean, 20, 30 player, then there's the, the batting average. I don't think will be any good though. Yeah, I mean they even like bat X estimate like two fifty three. If you have a two fifty three batting average, but then you you get twenty homers and forty steals or something like that, like that's something you can live with yeah. even in the second round. So yeah. I mean, like, but I just because there's a point where there's a point where steals just come unless you want to go into the story Ruiz bucket, like right. you know, and get guys like that. There's a there's a point like right after round two or round three where you just lose all the power speed guys like. Just looking, the last power speed guy might be like Haseon Kim, and he's only going to hit like 15 homers or something. Yeah. So, yeah, there's probably only a handful of guys that can reasonably do 30 30, and he's one of them. But like you said, it, it's not likely that he goes to the minors or gets benched, but it's more possible than with any other player in the first three, four rounds, right? Isn't when you have to say he's the most likely to lose major league at bats compared to everybody drafted around him because. He had struggle. He wasn't a very good real life player last year for them. And they, and not only that, but they have all these guys. I mean, uh, McLean, Marte, Candelario now is there. Like, it's not like there's not going to be someone on the bench behind him the, the nights he starts that isn't quite capable. So it's not likely, but you still have to build that risk into your idea. And taking a second round guy that not only, even if he doesn't get sent down, if he's only playing five times a week, that's pretty, that's pretty rough for the, your second or third hitter. So I'm off of him for those reasons, but yeah, it won't be surprising at all if he's like the number two or three overall pick next year either. So. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, in points leagues or OBP leagues, I'm dropping him definitely below the other yeah. guys in this tier. I'm probably dropping him until like a whole tier. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if we're playing so maybe my, even more than a tier, if we're playing points or OBP. My tier two would be Seager, Bichette, and Henderson. That's what I would say. 
Uh, so I want to get into that a little bit because I like Gunner quite a bit better than Bichette, and especially for like points or OBP. Uh, Gunner has excellent plate skills, and I think that you know he we saw a nice power tick up tick in the second half of him last year, like thirty yeah. ten could happen pretty easily for him and he's got multi-position eligibility which is nice so i have gunner slightly ahead of seeker just because of the injury like like i mentioned before i had seeker ahead before but now with this back thing like i don't know i'm projecting seeker more for like 130 140 games something like that just because you never know like this could pop up again later in the year and it could just and maybe it's just 10 days on the il or whatever but that's still eight nine ten games that you're going to lose from another stint on the D on the IL that could happen. Um, Bichette, my F scores just do not like him because he's terrible. He, 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 his plate decisions are just not good, right? Like he's a swinger and he goes at it. And he even said that when he tried to increase his plate discipline, I can't remember where I heard this, but there he was on the record saying that he tried to like take more pitches to help, increases obp and then he got worse because he was just like missing balls that normally he would hit and like yeah. make a good contact out of it so then he's like never mind i'm just going to go back to being aggressive again and i think that the speed with him is just kind of like a dead thing at this point like i think he's more like a five to eight steel guy or whatever than like what we were seeing his first couple of years in the in the majors but i do think he has a really good hit tool so like I don't know. We might have like some Tim Anderson type stuff going on or whatever, where you're like, this guy keeps swinging stuff outside of the zone. Like, why does he do that? But then he makes it work. So it's just like, okay, whatever. I guess, <laughs> I guess he's doing it. It yeah. might come back to bite him when he's older, when he's like 33, 34 and his swing slows down a little bit. But for now, I guess it's okay. But why do you like Bichette and why would you like move him into this next tier besides like obviously like counting stats? You're doing a good job at distinguishing between league types, which I'm not always so good at. Uh, all my projections are based on five by five, which is Ron's homers, RBIs, steals, and average. So you don't get any credit for walk rate in this. Um, and so you're right. Henderson projects for a 10% walk rate and Bichette is under 6%. That's a huge difference um, in terms of points. So Gunner ahead of Bichette in points seems no brainer. The upside with Gunner is much higher as well. Cause not only because of the talent, but also just because we ha- we've seen less of him. And anytime you have less data and a younger age, then there's obviously a wider range of outcomes, which means a much higher ceiling. Um, for for leagues that you're not gaining from walks, if you're a batting average league or you know not a points league, not an OBP league is what I'm talking about. The play discipline stuff doesn't matter at all. It, it doesn't correlate at all with success in this Roto League. It, it doesn't matter. You almost don't want to take a walk because if you're taking a walk, you can't have an extra base hit. You can't hit a home run and uh, maybe you're a little more likely to score a run and steal a base and stuff. But um, anyway, I've done like the research on that. You, the play discipline stuff, if you're talking about a standard Roto league with batting average, don't worry about it. it it's, it's irrelevant. It doesn't tell you, it doesn't predict anything negative or positive about how productive you'll be in fantasy. So that, that plays his advantage in these kind of leagues, which are, those, those are the standards. That's what I focus on. Um, and it's kind of the same thing with, with Bichette and Henderson. Yeah, Henderson has the higher upside, like we just mentioned, but there's also more downside. I mean, we've seen Bichette be a quite good fantasy player, maybe not a first or second round. He was a first or second round value in 2021, but last two years he's been more like, I think, between hitter 40 and 60 or something. But he's done that three years in a row, so you feel much better about the safety there. Um, But yeah, the steals, 
they project similarly these two in steals. They're both around a dozen on average. Henderson has more upside there, I guess. But I don't know. Bichette had a 20 steal season three years ago. Why can't that happen again? Who knows? So the, I mean, yeah, I, the, the thing about the speed, I feel like okay, so 2022, he had 13 stolen bases, but he was caught stealing eight times. Mm-hmm. And then maybe tr- the coaching staff at that point was like, dude, you're costing us way more because I think you probably know offhand better than I do, but I think that like in order to be a good base dealer, you have to have a success rate over like 75% or something like that. Otherwise it's not yeah. even worth the risk of stealing the base right. and you're better off just not running. So per- perhaps when they saw that like stall base to cost stealing total, they're just like, dude, don't run anymore. And then last year he only had five steals and he still got caught three times. So like the success rate has been pretty bad. So we have a lot of like projections, like the bat, the bad X hasn't, you know, like, 12, 12 but usually they're you're looking at like 12 to 15 steals what do your projections have him at as far as steals because i think like i don't see it bouncing back up there i think he's i have eight atc has 11 bad access 14 steamer has 12 i have eight um, yeah that so, seems a lot more accurate yeah. to me but with henderson everybody has 12 so it's not that much not that this is we're not just comparing these two but um the one thing that's to note last year is that he had he missed time with knee inflammation and a quadricep thing. Those are both later in the year, the last two months of the season, but uh, there it was that it was something he was dealing with. And the first thing you're going to stop doing when you have a, any kind of leg injury is stealing bases probably. So with health, maybe that comes back up. So there, there is that chance. I mean, he's a fast guy and um, you know, I, I don't know, maybe they don't want him to, maybe, maybe if you're ahead of Vlad in the lineup and you're on first, it doesn't do you much better to be on second because he's hitting a lot of doubles and, and stuff anyway. But uh, I don't know. I, I don't think it's fair to say he's an eight to twelve steal guy. Maybe that's maybe that's the median projection. But I think he still could get back to twenty if he's healthy and if maybe he just decides to be more aggressive on that front. So uh, yeah, I think the re- the reason he's in this tier for me is just I feel safe. I, I really want safety in the first the first couple rounds. I want one high steals guy, and then I want to just kind of play it safe, and then I'll make my you know kind of play for the upside a little bit later in the draft. I have a general question for you because yeah. you mentioned that plate skills doesn't, you know, may not really matter in Roto and maybe you don't even want a guy to walk, but the way that I look at plate skills is it's almost, I like I've talked before about like creating like a beta from F scores next year. I'll probably do something like that. But as far as like plate skills, I kind of see that almost as like a beta. The worse a player's plate skills are, the more volatile they are going to be throughout the season. And if you're in an overall Roto League, maybe it doesn't really matter. But if you're playing in like a head-to-head categories league where your stats actually do matter week to week, is something like bad plate discipline something that you may take into account when drafting versus if you're just in a Roto League and all that matters is the end-of-year stats, you won't really care as much? Like, what are your thoughts on that? I don't view – it's an interesting question about – week weekly stuff like people say that you should play head-to-head w- leagues differently than full season roto but i don't understand that because if you're you're saying you would rather have a straight line production rather than up and down but i don't get that because for every bad week with a volatile player you'll make up for it with one of the up weeks right so i like at the end of the year projection is still most important to me because i don't care i can't predict what's gonna happen every week anyway i'm not like matching this up to the schedule i play or anything <laughs> like that so so the up and down doesn't matter to me I, the, the reason i kind of say that is if you look at like the highest chase rates, uh, there's, I mean, Javier Baez is there and he's obviously terrible, but there's also guys like Salvador Perez, Harold Ramirez, uh, Nick Castellanos, Luis Robert. These are some of the worst chase rates in the league and they're still very good 
fantasy players. Josh Naylor's here. So for every like horrible fantasy player you have with bad plate discipline, quote unquote, there's a good one too. And like a lot of these guys, some of the best, the best players at not chasing are uh, Robbie Grossman, Kevin Vigio. I'm leaving the good guys out, obviously, to make my point. But Lars Newbar, Mitch Garver, Taylor Walls. Like, okay, Taylor Walls is amazing at knowing what pitches to swing at. He's probably the best in the league behind Corey Seager. But he's like nothing good happens after he decides to swing. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, it's it's just not. It just doesn't tell you that much. And people do. Like, I, I guess I can maybe. I, I've never tested it. Maybe it's true that with like a young player, the young player that shows better play discipline is better. It's more likely to have a longer career or something like that. Mm-hmm. But if I'm playing for one year and I just want, I want to accrue these five stats, it's not something that weighs in for me. Yeah. I think for a young player, it, when I look at it, because I've been doing the S course for three years now, when someone has a better play, like F discipline for me, when they break into the league, they're more likely to have immediate success as a young player than if yeah. they're, you know, like, like someone like Ellie de la Cruz, where it's like, he's got a 91 F discipline, which isn't terrible, but it's 9% below average. Yeah. So it means that they're gonna come in and they could, yeah, they could have more struggles early on. Whereas like Gunner yeah. always ranked pretty high in F discipline. Like he's got a one Oh six. So it means that he's likely to just kind of transition right in and have less struggles yeah. as he comes in. So I think it matters for that. If you actually did care about volatility, then I think it matters for that. And I think it matters when they get older, because I think that, the guys with bad plate discipline, when they hit like that 30, 31 age, they're going, oh, it's like it's like a roller coaster straight down. Whereas like if you have good dis- plate skills and you get older, it might be more like, I mean, like obviously I'm using a guy who might make the Hall of Fame as a comparison here, but it, you might have like a Paul Goldschmidt where it's like, okay, he's going to be more of a gradual decline down or like a Joey Votto where it's like, okay, they're still pretty decent. Like they're getting worse for sure because yeah. they're getting older, but it's not like, oh, Tim Anderson, good. No, he's, now he sucks all of a sudden. Or right. Javier Baez, oh, he's, he's awesome. He's an all-star, and then all of a sudden, now he sucks. So Maybe. Yeah, and Baez is at the extreme. Anybody near the extreme of Baez is no good, obviously, because what the league <laughs> has done with what the league has done with Baez is once you know that the guy can't help himself but swing at bad pitches, you just stop throwing him good ones, and that's what the league has done. Like If you look at the percent of pitches thrown at them out of the zone, Baez is far and away the highest, but that's because he hasn't given a, a pitcher any reason to throw him a strike. So at the extremes, then yeah, definitely. Like, if if someone's up there chasing at the, if they're at the top of the league in chase rate, they're probably they need to adjust that to really become uh, a reliable fantasy guy. Because eventually, the pitchers will be like, "Well, I'm not going to throw this guy a strike because he's not making me." So that's it's something to consider. Yeah, tier four. Uh, my tier four, I have Matt McLean as my number eight shortstop. Bo Bichette, who we talked about already at number nine. I threw Royce Lewis in here just in the off chance that he will get shortstop eligibility because mm-hmm. Carlos Correa is like almost definitely going to get hurt at some point. <laughs> and then when he does, it's like, okay, what are the twins going to do? Are they going to move Lewis to short and then put Brooks Lee or whatever at third, or are they going to just bring Brooks Lee up and play short? Cause I think yeah. they talked about Brooks Lee playing more third base than shortstop. So I feel like if, if when Correa gets hurt, like Lewis, it makes more sense to just move him over to short. And then have Brooks Lee play third. So I think there's a chance he gets shortstop eligibility here. So I just wanted to throw him in here for fun. And then last in the tier, I have CJ Abrams, who is basically just like speed or bust, in my opinion. Like he's going pretty high in drafts. And I have, I will probably be getting no CJ Abrams this year because, like, when I see a speed guy, I want someone who gets on base too. And like, because you have to, you have to get on base to steal bags. And so, like, we just talked about how 
walk rate in a roto league doesn't really matter, but it can, if you're going for a speed guy, right? So like I had this conversation uh, with the Welsh about Tyler black on, I think it was, I guess, I don't can't remember if it was my podcast or his, but he's like, I don't get why people are so high on Tyler black. And I'm like, dude, because he's going to get on base and then you have to get on base to steal bags. Like if you're Billy Hamilton and you're fast as crap, but you can't get on base, then your speed is worthless. But if you can get on base at a really good clip, then it means your speed actually means something. So like Abrams has a 79 F discipline and like, he still stole 40 bags or whatever, but the lack of, you know, the ability to get on base does concern me a little bit with him on the bottom of this tier. Matt McClain, I just really love this guy. I was the like really high guy on him early, you know, last year. Uh, my F scores show that he's probably going to be something like a 25, 20 guy this year in Cincinnati at the top of the lineup, scored a ton of runs. So I like that plus the position eligibility and then Royce Lewis throwing him in here. Like I like him as a good 25 to 30 Homer 10 steel type bet if he can yeah. stay healthy, but talking about Carlos Correa's health, like Royce Lewis kind of has had the same issues in his career. I mean, like it would be, unheard of for him to tear his ACL like a third time, I guess. But uh, like, that's probably career over at that point. But um, yeah, like Lewis has had major injuries. He doesn't have the little minor injuries like Correa. And talk about back issues, dude. That's a guy right there that like he has had back issues and now Seager with the back issues. So there's kind of a prime example of a reason to be concerned about Seager a little bit, I think. What are your thoughts on these guys? Yeah. Yeah. Um, with Abrams, yeah, he projects for a 5% walk rate. So, and like a three, oh, three ten ish OBP. So yeah, you're right. He doesn't end up on, on base very often. Uh, some of the lack of power kind of maybe works to his favor in steals there. Cause when he's getting hits, they're singles. Um, but the, the thing is like, this kind of fact, this factors into the OBP, but w- with the low walk rate also comes a really low strikeout rate. So he's not giving many plate appearances up. He's putting a ball in play almost every time, right? Like mm-hmm. see if he strikes out 18% of the time and walks five, that leaves more than 75% of his plate appearances where there's a ball going in play and he's fast. So good things can happen there. He can get on first base a lot of different ways and steal bases. Um, the power projection isn't as good, but he is 23 and he, he's newly 23. So usually you don't see a lot of power from a 21, 22 year old. So this would kind of be the year where he might really break out in that, in that way. And he's not a huge guy. I think he's a smaller frame. So he's probably never a 35 homer guy, but I I could see him getting into the 20, 25, maybe 30 range at the upper range. While uh, I feel like 25 steals would be a floor for him. It's just the the fact that he's so young is that you have to project these skills up a little bit, right? Like every year Mm -hmm. at that age, everything you expect to get better doesn't always, but. 22 year old is going to improve a lot more one year to the next over someone that's 27 or something like that. Uh, so he's in this tier for me. My, my fourth tier uh, would be Abrams, Ellie O'Neill Cruz and McLean is like borderline there. The projections really don't have him as a tier four guy, but the projections are pretty much pretty biased against young guys. They kind of take a glass half empty approach with those guys. So you have to keep that in mind. Uh, they also probably don't like his really high BABIP last year and his really high strikeout rate last year. I think he was at 28% strikeout rate, and he had a, one of the higher BABIPs in the league. Um, as good as Great American Ballpark is, I, it's not really great for BABIP because it's, you know, it's your fly balls are usually a home run or an out. 
So it's it's not the greatest. You know, you don't expect a high Babbitt for these guys just because they play in Cincinnati. Um, and remember, Babbitt doesn't include home runs. That they it removes that from the conversation. So there should be some some regression there. And if the strikeout rate stays at 26, 27, 28%, it's probably a bad batting average and things that follow with that. So he's a little bit more volatile. Um, I'm surprised you don't have O'Neill Cruz here yet because uh, O'Neill is right there with Ellie in, in terms of who I would want to draft. And, and that's just at any price. So O'Neill's price for me is the ADP of 80. It's pretty, pretty appealing to me. It seems like he's an absolute 2020 floor as well. Um, he has the same concerns with Ellie. It's just that we don't talk about them because we don't we didn't see them last year because he didn't play right. But uh, O'Neill Cruz's ceiling is right there with everybody else, so he's in my tier four. So to reiterate, it was uh, Abrams, Ellie, O'Neill Cruz, and McLean. Yeah. So I just want to comment on McLean real quick. Is I adjusted my F scores a little bit, and we talked a little bit about it, uh, you know, in the off season or whatever, when we had our other podcast. Um, but McLean has always been a high batted guy, and I looked into it. And he's one of the highest guys in sweet spot percentage in baseball. Mm -hmm. And so, like, one of the reasons I project his Babbitt to really not go down that far, almost like a Nolan Jones type thing. Nolan Jones in Colorado, which is better for Babbitt than Great American Small Park. But uh, if you have a high sweet spot percentage and you're kind of like a line drive hitter like he is, I feel like that just means that more of those balls are going to get down. And he's pretty fast, too. So he's going to – I think he's going to run, like, a 350 Babbitt, something in that range, 340, 350 Babbitt. So like I like I don't project his bat to go down to 320, 330 like some of the projection systems do because I just think that that he's that type of guy. Like even in AAA last year, he had a 385 BABIP and he was running pretty high BABIPs in the minors before. So I think it's just part of his game to be that type of guy, at least while he's in his 20s or whatever. Maybe that's bad for when he gets older, but for now, like I'm down with it. O'Neill Cruz. Yeah, I have him dude, 385. 385 was McLean's last year. So even at 350, yeah. that's quite a that's quite a bit further down. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So he might be more like a 260, 270 hitter, I think, yeah. than that's a 290 hitter, which is fine because in that ballpark and leading off uh, and with this power speed, I still think he's going to go 25-20 or whatever with a good number of runs because he's got a same, good lineup behind him. So We'd have to say it's the same concern. It's slight, but it's the same thing with Ellie where we talked about. If any of these guys in the infield is struggling in April – you know, you, they could get benched. I don't, there's just so many options there. They have so many guys that they could just ride. They, they want to win the division, obviously. So they're not going to, if someone's really struggling and really having trouble, if it's Ellie or McLean, these guys still have all kinds of contract options. It's in the realm of possibilities that they lose time or even go to the minors for a couple weeks. Yeah, very true. Something to keep in the back of the head. That's for sure. Yeah. O'Neill Cruz, I have like a whole nother tier down. And I think, I, saw that. I mean, like part of it is the durability because he, obviously he's coming off injury and then he, he was supposed to come back last year, and then he didn't. So that concerns me a little bit, too. Um, I mean, I wanted to really talk, dig in on him because you're a Pirates fan, too, on top of it. Yeah. But O'Neill Cruz, the, the big difference between him and Ellie, in my mind, is just the contact rates. I think Ellie just has a better hit tool than O'Neill. I think they like their power speed is really not that much different. Their plate skills is, are equally like subpar. But I think the main thing is just Ellie makes – he hit, he hits, he gets a better, better contact. He makes better bat to ball. So, I mean, that's just like my read on it. What do you think? Yeah. They've both had around 400 plate appearances. Um, Ellie's all of Ellie's have come since O'Neill's last one. So there's a, you know, all of this from O'Neill was in 2022 and all of this and Ellie was last year. I don't know who that favors. Uh, probably, a, probably a, a wash. 
but you're right, 70% contact rate for Ellie, 65% for O'Neill. So that's a big difference. Five five points in contact rate is pretty huge. Um, O'Neill hits fewer ground balls, at least so far, but he's still high there. He's at 49%. What we saw last year, uh, we didn't get enough data to even cite this, I guess. But, yeah, I shouldn't even say this. But 40 plate appearances last year. I was watching this very closely with him as a Pirate fan. I was like, can, can he get the strikeout rate to 30%? And can he get the contact rate to 70%? And for 40 plate appearances, which is – nine games or whatever he had done it. He had gone to a 20% strikeout rate and a 70% contact rate, but way, way too small of a sample to say that that was definitely going to stick around. So mm. I just see them as, I mean, they're separated in ADP by six rounds or something. I, I see them way closer than that. Um, and Cruz has, uh, we're not going to worry about the job security stuff, I guess, but Cruz has more, a little bit more job security than, Ellie does. There's just because the Pirates don't have some other great shortstop trying to beat him out. You know, like if he's hitting 100 through April, he's he's not going anywhere. So um, yeah, a little bit of safer I mean, I, there. And I think the big uh, thing for me in the separation is just the steals. I feel like Ellie is just more of a runner. He's more aggressive on the base pass. I think he's he, yeah. I'm, I'm sure he's faster too. I remember. I think home to first, he was the number one player at home to first time. Uh, when I was looking at those, so I'm, you know, being faster and being more, being more aggressive on the base pass. Like I can, even with bad batting average, like Ellie, I just, I don't know, like 35 steals is like a floor to me for Ellie. Whereas like O'Neill Cruz, I think is more like the projections make more sense to me, like 20 to 25 steals somewhere in that range. That makes, that makes a bit more sense based on his track record of running. He's had, he's also has not been as successful, at least in the recent future. Like back when he was, you know, 2021 or whatever, he was pretty good. Like 18 stolen bases yeah. and three steals at double A. But like in the in the recent, like 2022, he was 10 steals, four caught stealing in the majors, which is okay. And then triple A though, 11 and six. So he just hasn't been yeah. as successful on the base pass as Ellie. So I, would I think say... that's, the, that's the main difference for me is just the, really the speed and then that minor hit like difference in contact rate. And yeah. Yeah, the plate skills could be better for sure because, like, small sample size last year, like you mentioned. But even in AAA the year before, like he had twelve percent walk rate, twenty two percent K rate is pretty good. Yeah. So he and I he gets. I think the steals gap between these two, uh, just a, another point in favor of O'Neill Cruz, is that the steal stuff. If you compare twenty twenty two for him with 2023 for anybody else, Cruz didn't get to play in this league where the steals were through the roof. Right. So you're talking about his, he stole 14 bases and 410 plate appearances in 2022 or sorry, that's 2022 and 2023. He had 11 steals in 2022 and like half a year played. Um, but that's without that like 7% boost everybody got with the new rules. So he hasn't had a chance to, to exploit that. Uh, and Ellie's entire career so far is, is under those new rules. Um, so yeah, I, I think, I think Cruz, he's another guy that's not going to end up on first base very often, although he should walk at a decent clip. He was 8% uh, in his major league time so far, so that's league average. But um, I think that with the speed he has, and the Pirates are certainly willing to let guys steal, steal bases. They were one of the most aggressive teams in the league last year, um, and he's the speed is elite. I don't think there's any questions about that. And So I, I think the steals, I think there's 25-30 upside for him there, but yeah, maybe the projection shouldn't be quite as high as Ellie or some other guys but anyway he's a 2020 threat I, I think it's a 2020 floor if he stays healthy so I like him a lot for where he goes 
So from a Pirates fan standpoint, what's the word on like his health entering the season? Is it he was playing he was playing games in fall. He was like a few weeks after the season ended, he was in games and not the fall league, but whatever other league. So he's he's good to go. If they would have been in the playoff race, it sounded like he would have been in there. You know, I think it was just one of those things that there's no reason to win these September games. So let's take it easy. Yeah. Okay. So jumping back up a tier, uh, my tier five, I've got Haseon Kim. Labor Torres, which is not shortstop in some leagues. Bryson Stott, yeah. another guy who's not a shortstop in some leagues. And then Tommy Edmond, who has like five positions <laughs> he's eligible for. So that's that's what I've got in my tier five here. And you know, I might be moving O'Neill up after talking to you about some of this stuff. Cause like I yeah. my future has scores projections projections were on, pretty high on him anyway. But yeah. I, I just had some contact concerns with him. So uh, what, what do you think about these guys here? Like, I think Torres is a little bit underrated just because he's just like above average at everything. And it's just like, he doesn't have that one skill that really sticks out. So it right. gets like forgotten about a little bit. And then Kim, interesting coming off the year. Like Kim is a dude who's, this is what's so interesting about him is that he's awesome for OBP and um, for points leagues because he gets on base all the time. But then he's also awesome for Roto because of the steals if he repeats what he did last year and my F scores were high on him every year of his career. So like even before he broke in and he was like coming over from Korea, like my, so you need him high on him. You and need him to be good. To, yeah, to <laughs> I, <laughs> exactly. So like, I always thought that we were going to kind of get what he was doing last year, like these other years when he was just kind of subpar. But the good thing is that he got all that position eligibility from like kind of being so far, yeah. just like moving around to different spots. That's what's gotten the position eligibility for this year. So what are your thoughts on this tier? And like, who are you buying? Who are you not buying? I have like way different names because most of the guys you said aren't even shortstop in my file because I used NFPC, which is 20, uh, 20 games. 20 games. Yeah. For Kim, I, I don't think, I guess I'd have him in this, in this fifth tier. Um, but he's not a good five by five roto player by the projections. I mean, he's below Zach Nito in in the projections in that sense. Uh, but to your point, points league, he's the tenth ranked guy by these projection models and a standard points league formula. He's five percent more valuable, which is a big number if you replace batting average with on base percentage. Uh, so in those leagues, he's he goes way up. But in a standard roto, I'm not interested at all. He's a top 90 pick and the projections say that's way, way too expensive. Um, this kind of, for me is like the range where you just take where, where these like uh, veterans Swanson, Adonis and Bogarts are all here for me. Probably mm -hmm. you don't want to draft them, but you, how low can they possibly go? They play every day. They're decent. You know, they're major league guys. They're in, um, they're in at least not awful offenses. I mean, Bogarts could be in a good situation and then Adonis and Swanson will be around league average lineups. But I mean, all those guys have their, you know, they get there in one way or the other, just veterans, just volume, voluming it to death, playing, you know, batting third or fourth all season, they, they get there. So you have to rank them higher up than, than that. And then the other two guys that I kind of view here and maybe even a third one, I really like Anthony Volpe, Trevor Story and Ezekiel Tovar. This year, I think all of those guys are uh, good steal sources with possibly power. I mean, we saw Volpe hit 20 home runs last year. He's super young. I think he's 22. We just talked about Abrams. So I think he could be a 25-25 guy that raises the batting average significantly if he can figure out the strikeout stuff and some of the context stuff. The floor is really low. 
Um, but I, I like him a lot. He's probably been my most commonly drafted shortstop. Uh, Story just feels like it's like easy 2020 if he stays in the lineup. It's the same concern. Like the batting average has been never been that good. Well, outside of Coors, obviously. Uh, he strikes out a ton and that's not going to work. But talk about late 2020 guys. Story is probably the, the easiest one to pick there. And then Tovar, I, you know, he, it wasn't a great season for him last year, but just the underlying stuff, he really stood out to me when I was doing the team previews that um, he can steal bases and he did that last year. Not a ton, but a good amount. And he had like an 8% barrel rate, which is really good for someone that young. And he kind of was increasing that throughout the year. So I think he could step up and be, you know, 20, 20 homers, 15 to 20 steals pretty easily. And he goes near pick 200. So uh, in terms of value shortstops, those, those are my three favorites. Um, I want to get one of the top tier guys just because there's so much good. So like so many elite guys at the top, but if, for a middle infielder, I, I want one of these three shortstops. So I really like this tier and you haven't even mentioned them yet. So you must have them later. Yeah. Um, but well, I've got all these guys. I've got all these guys tier six and now that, you know, like I kind of almost want to just like meld this into one super tier here. of just saying yeah. like, these are the last, this is the last group of starters that you want at shortstop. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And like, yeah, and just have like one super tier because I have Bogart, Swanson, and Adames back to back to back in my rankings. Yeah. Is that is that the order you're picking on them in if you have to pick one or do you just like not even care? You're like all three of these guys is like the same thing more or less. So just like it's just like, okay, if I didn't get uh one of the higher end guys, like just yeah. grab one of these vets. And it, it depends it on which one. Uh, Adamas is the home run guy. So if you're looking yeah. to catch up on home runs, you'd pick him. Uh, if you want more batting average and a few extra steals, then it would be one of the other two. So there's a differentiator there in what they give you. Um, but yeah, I agree. They're all pretty much the same. It's like, okay, this is a boring round. I'll make this pick. I'm not going to be excited about it, but whatever. I'll get, I'll get some decent expectation <laughs> of it. I, maybe the reason our tiers are a little bit different at this point is because you have these guys that I don't have at the position. So yeah, like Torres probably would have been in this tier for yep. me as well. And I do have Edmund way lower, but. Not sure about yeah, that. He's hurt actually, too. Yeah. It, one of the things is he hits ninth, and then he he's yeah. hurt. He's like hurt right now. But I think I give a boost to Edmund, not because I'm a Cardinals fan, but because he, of the multi position eligibility. Because it's just nice, nice to have a guy that can move all over the place. Um, but if we're expanding this tier, then basically right after Edmund, I've got O'Neill Cruz, Andres Jimenez, who's just basically if you just need steals, like go get steals. And he, the funny thing is, he never really stole as much as he should have until last year. Uh, Volpe, I think you're right. I think Volpe is just like one year behind CJ Abrams. He's basically like the same dude, but just like one year younger. Like, so yeah. if you like, if you want to project out Volpe to be, to do what, you know, something like what Abrams did last year, like I would, he just went 2020. He just went, yeah. he went, he had all those trouble, all the problems you can point out of him. He still went 2020. So you'd have to expect those problems to at least improve. And 2020 seems like the, the yeah. floor, you know, so. Well, also, yeah, better ballpark and better team around him too, because the national. Yeah. I mean, which is bad and good because because the since the Nationals are so bad, they could have afforded to put Abrams at the top of the lineup. But Volpe, because the Yankees yeah. are trying to be good, he's kind of like stuck at the bottom. So it's like almost like a Tommy Edmund type problem, where unless he's going to hit but 260, I don't, 270, he's probably not going to get back near the top. Yeah, you wouldn't think it would take much for them to flip him with Lemayhu though. Like if he's hitting, then you'd think yeah. they want a speed at the top. So. Yeah, exactly. And then what about these young guys? Uh, we've got Junior Caminero, Jackson Holiday, and Jordan Lawler. I threw all of them in this tier. Like, I put them all ahead of Trevor Story just because Story's been so That's injured ridiculous. lately that I'm just like, 
I'm just like, okay, so we've got three guys that we don't know when they're going to come up. It seems like Holiday and Caminero might come up really early. Um, but Story has the injuries. So it's like, who's going to play more <laughs> almost? But you're building like, in it. With, with the rookies, you're assuming at least one IL stint just because they're not going to be at the beginning of the year. So you're building in one immediately, at least one, right? Like it's at well, least it two weeks. Like, like Roster Resource has Holiday starting shortstop right now. And then Caminero, we couldn't. Like he already debuted and at this point with the whole wander thing, they might just say like, let's just put Caminero in there to be the new face of the franchise. Cause this wander thing is so <laughs> bad that we need to get a new dude in here. Yeah. He's not going to be with like 14 year old chicks. I thought he was a third baseman though. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Too bad we don't have more time to get into that. You know? Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, he is. He, well, he is a third baseman, but he's still shortstop eligible too. So he's, but is that what they want to do with him? They might. I mean, we'll see because right now they've got Caballero at short. Walls is not supposed to be healthy for the beginning of the season. And then they've got Paredes who can still play third. So it's kind of like, what do they want to do? And it's the Rays. Yeah. So they're probably going to be moving these guys all around. And it's like almost like the Reds problem, right? Where you've got yeah. all these different guys that play all these different positions. And then the Rays are already naturally a type of team that's going to follow platoon splits and stuff like that. So, and the, the only, the one guy they didn't do that with was Wander, who was a switch hitter. Caminero is not a switch hitter. So who knows? They might do platoons even with Caminero uh, because he isn't a switch hitter. So really like Rays are just so hard to predict, but I wouldn't put it past him since he already debuted for him to come up and play third, short, whatever. And I think he's going to hit for power right away when he does, because his swing is awesome. But um, what, do, what do you do? With yeah, these just, rookies? Like, I know you're just, not a big, as big of a rookie prospect type guy as me, but like, what do you do with these guys? I'm That's not right. at all. I, yeah, I don't. With Holiday, the things I've looked at, um, and the or I have like three team previews left to do: Dodgers, Orioles, and Braves. So I haven't looked at him in detail, but I did detour to, to look at him real quick. And I don't think there's any power right now. I mean, he's 21 or something, so not to say that he won't in the future. But I cannot see him hitting 20 home runs in the majors this year. Even though the Orioles are clearly going for it right now, like that is said and done. We know with the Burns trade this weekend, they're have their sights set on the division. Um, but they still have Westberg ahead of them at short, not ahead of them necessarily, but like they have an option there if they want to save that year of control. And the Orioles seem to be a team that uh, could benefit from that. They're not a huge market team and whatever. He could come up, but I think it's more likely that they find a reason to give them the three weeks in the minors just to save themselves a year of control. It seems pretty obvious to me that, and, and in addition to that, they get a look at Westberg to see what they have with him. So my bet is that he misses the three weeks and then comes up and, doesn't hit for much power. That takes him off my board because people like him. He's the top prospect in baseball, so he's always going to get inflated up the in the draft. <clears throat> in a redraft league, I see no reason to take the risk because with Caminero, maybe I'm a little bit more likely because, like you said, the power stuff is is really believable. Um, so if I'm going to take a risk, which I which I'm just not, I'm not taking any of these rookies. It's not the way I play. I think it's way more risk than reward. But if, if so, if I had to pick one between those two, it'd be Caminero because at least you can kind of believe that maybe he can come up and hit 25 homers in a hurry, um, even if he misses a month, you know. Um, but I don't like either of them. Uh, the ADP off the, on them is always – like, obviously, if they're on waivers in my league and they get called up and I can pick them up, I'll do it. Not like that big of a hater of them, but I'm not going to spend a significant draft pick on them, and I'm not going to draft them ahead of any of the guys we've mentioned before, like – Volpe or Story, I would take them way, way before these two names. So that's my my take. But I know there's a lot of disagreement on that. And 
plenty of upside with the young guys as well, but I don't, I just don't like the downside and it seems like way more often than not, we see these guys really disappoint rather than breaking out immediately. Yeah, for sure. It, it redraft is, I mean, like for sure, like keeper dynasty, like, of course you're going to be all over these guys, but redraft yeah. for sure. Um, we've got a out coming out here, so I just want to get some names. We didn't for mention, you yeah, that yeah, we haven't talked about yet. Just Nico name, Horner, some name, uh, Horner's sec. You know, I have that's the thing, I've got Horner at second base only because did he even okay. play shortstop last year with well, Swanson? I don't he's even, eligible I don't there. Hit with the, as, seeing as, as far as I can see, he's eligible here, but the, he's still not a great, yeah, he's a really good points league. Um, shortstop, he's like the number. Like he's like a top five projected points league getter because he he's like the perfect points league format kind of guy. Like at top of the hits. lineup, gets on base a lot, <laughs> hits, steals bases. So excellent in, in points leagues. And I'm sure he's crazy undervalued in those drafts. So keep an eye on him. Um, and then Zach Nito is a guy that I – he goes very late. And I don't think he's not someone to prioritize or anything like that. But as a bench shortstop, I think he's pretty interesting just with kind of the, the youth and the kind of the stuff we saw last year. Pretty good solid profile to build on. Maybe it doesn't happen this year, but – He's one of those late guys that I'm okay with. Do you like him or Lux better? Uh, Nito, for sure. We've just okay, seen so many years of Lux being like nothing for fantasy wow. purposes. Much better <laughs> real life player than fantasy. Yeah. Uh, cheap, cheap steals. Which of these guys do you like better? Bryce Terang, Mason Wynn, Jorge Mateo, John Birdie, or Sed Rafaela? Oh, that's that's deep. Uh, I don't know. Terang, Terang seems like the one that'll play, right? He's, I think Terang and Wynn will, will, are almost definitely okay. going to play regularly yeah, both, every day just because they're de- their defense. They're both bad, though, and everything else. Uh, yeah, those two. Ter- probably Terang is my first inclination there. All right. Got anyone else deep you want to talk about, or that's too <laughs> that's enough for you? Yeah, I like I like taking a shot. I mean, even Tim Anderson, we're talking about deep leagues now. Yeah. But he's not. he can't be as bad as last year, and if, if we, you know – I, you you do those analyses where analyses whatever where you see ADP followers like from 2022 to 2023 he fell the furthest and there's obviously a good reason for that but th- those guys are always by lows just because if you come down that far you know 90 percent of the time your next season is up a little bit so I don't think he can be as bad he's still looking for a team though I guess we don't even know if he'll find somewhere to start and play but um, he's someone to think about. Um, People like Von Grisham, though he's more of a second baseman, I guess. I don't really care for him, but he, he's someone that could maybe blossom with a new team and stuff like that. Jordan Lawler, I did. I drafted in a DC the other day. I, I don't know if he'll be the shortstop out of camp, but he wasn't super good in his time last year. But I mean, he's one of these post type prospects, right? Like people were pretty excited yeah. to give him a try when he got called up and he struggled. And now people have forgotten about him. So um, and Arizona is obviously a pretty good team. And he it would seem like I think Perdomo is the only guy ahead of him. So you'd think that they would want him to get that job, uh, ideally. So I like yeah. him, and then uh, yeah, that pretty much covers it, I guess. Luis Rangifo, oh. uh, Rangifo plays all over the place. I really like him a lot for the utility. Uh, yeah, I had a note to ask you about him, but we were yeah. getting short on time. But I think Rangifo is a pretty nice underrated value, especially super you know, like- great floor. Yeah, I fantastic floor. I, it's he's crazy cheap and. I don't think that's going to last. I think people are kind of catching on. And NFBC, maybe that's more an NFBC pick because he plays these four positions. And that is just like so valuable in a in a, these leagues where you can't make in-season ads. So you're going to have a whole bunch of injuries and Rangifo can just like go wherever on your roster. And that's super valuable. So I draft him a lot. Um, although his ADP is near 250 now, which is about probably where it should be. So uh, he's not great at anything, but he'll, 
you know, he'll hit 15 to 20 homers and steal the same amount of bases. So pretty good there. And he should be locked into full time now with the angels kind of losing their whole roster from last year. So yeah, those are the kind yeah. of names I'm, I'm in on. A couple other guys to keep an eye on. I think Colson Montgomery, just because Paul DeYoung sucks. So I don't imagine he's going to yeah. hold that job for too long. Uh, we already mentioned Caballero with the Rays. If he's going to start, he should Steals, get a decent yeah. amount of steals. Uh, Harnayas with the athletics looks like he's going to start at shortstop. And he, he's almost like a, a Neto or Nito type guy who's, I think, can go like 10 10 with a decent average. Mm-hmm. And he's on the A's, so you can get him super cheap. And then uh, Joey Ortiz just traded over for, in the Corbin Burns trade. It looks like he's going to probably start for the Brewers at the beginning of the season. And he's a defense guy who makes good contact. So, like, Super cheap guy who could not be bad for you in a DC. Um, and then last guy, Leo Verpiguero, Pirates fan. What yeah. do you think about him this year? It's not gonna happen. <laughs> not gonna happen. I don't know. He's got he has non-zero power. Like he had a barrel rate that wasn't awful, but no, I don't think so. And the the key point, I guess, is that most people listening to this fantasy stuff are like just trying to beat their friends in like a 12-team league. So my advice to you is like you win those leagues with the Dansby Swanson picks, not not with the the guys we just mentioned, right? Like take Dansby Swanson in the 13th round and just like you're not going to be excited about it, but you'll go ahead and you'll get 80 runs and 90 RBIs and 15 steals and 22 homers. And while other people are chasing these like shortstops that end up doing nothing all year because they stink or because they don't play, like take those guys. That's how you win your your basic home league. And it's, maybe it's more fun to talk about these like 500 pick drafts and redraft and keeper and dynasty and stuff. But uh, man, there's such an edge in just taking the boring veterans. So um, that's my advice to the masses. And I, there's actually, a, I wrote a whole article about boring veterans to draft. There's an article on my blog about that. If, if that sounds like something your league, you could benefit from in your league. So that's, that's the advice. I'm trying to do that more this year because it is so tempting to like get into all these breakout picks and be the guy that says, oh, I called... Darrell Hernandez or whatever the name is you just said, but that's not really how you win a typical league. So play it safe. Yeah. Yeah. Boring old guys win the leagues. That's for sure. And yeah. your, um, and your Cardinals are the, the team for them this year. Goldie and Arenado. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Goldie and Arenado. Yeah. And even Wilson Contreras to an extent too. Like yeah, exactly, just, yeah. fo- just follow, follow the, the, va- I mean like that's where the value is because people want to get the new exciting thing. Like yep. everyone it's, it's like shiny, object syndrome everybody has it yep. and the old guys aren't shiny objects anymore but those are the guys that are going to win your leagues so i agree with that and that'll wrap up the pod uh if you want to follow john john what's your twitter handle again it's just j-o-n-p-g-h all right yeah john p-g-h on the x twitter whatever the hell you want to call it nowadays you can find him over there and then you can check out his tableau stuff just like if you even like you do like free samples and stuff like that every now and then. I think on your website, even you've got like the, a free sample of what it looks the 2023 like. Dashboard. It yeah, the 2023 stuff is all totally free for everybody. But when the new season start, I that stuff's all locked down. But you can look at the old stuff. That's fine. And, and if you want everybody is interested and you want a sample before you start paying me, I I I uh, perfectly happy to accommodate you on that. So. Yeah, I, I recommend just going and checking it out. It's fun to just play around with. I've, I've gone on your site and messed around with the old 2023 one. Um, anyway, that's it for the podcast for Short Stops. We'll see you next time. Peace out, everybody. Later.